Hi and welcome to Shaky Sports Journeys. I'm under a little bit of pressure today with the with the introduction and the announcement, considering you know my guest today is a professional announcer, so I'm doing my best. But please, as always, subscribe to our channel, Shaky Sports Journeys. You can find us on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, and Podbean. So we're bringing bringing you stuff from all different sports, football, cricket, rugby, boxing, you name it, we're covering it. And it's a first today um, for this uh, for this type of podcast. Um, I have the absolute pleasure of welcoming to the show renowned sports announcer for the likes of the Five Flyers, many different boxing events as well. Um, hello, Mr. Craig Stephen. How are you, sir? I'm really good. I love that introduction. I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable here, a little bit, because I'm used to looking down the lens of a camera and having nothing coming back at me. And because I can see you and me, my eyes are darting everywhere. But, hey ho. No, no, thanks, thanks for the invite. It's good to see you. It's good to see you. Um, I've been feeling pressurised all day that I got that introduction right, so I'm happy that you're, uh, you were happy annoying. with that. Um, so, Craig, what I want to... I need all the work I can get just now. Don't get any better, please. <laughs> I don't think you're under any pressure from me. I couldn't. <laughs> I don't think I would. I don't have the voice for it. I don't have. The, you're you're the man for the job, um, and you're also your attire and your dress and all of that. You know, I, I don't have that. Don't have that neat neat style. But you 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 know, I've seen you at many a show. You do a great 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 job. What I want to do today is I want to take you on a bit of a journey, take you through the the kind of life of Craig Stephen and how you've got to this point now. So let's start by telling me a bit about your childhood, your family background, and where you grew up. It's a long time ago, um, 1961. This is my, the birthday's not here yet, but this is the big birthday this year. Um, Childhood was pretty uneventful. I I was, um, I'm an only child, which probably explains a lot. And Although I didn't know it at the time, my mum and dad were quite old parents. They were married 12 years before I was born. Um, I think they thought it was never going to happen. And my dad was 46, I think, when I was uh, when I was born. My mum was about 38. Um, but again, I, I never realised I had older parents until I kind of went to school and then <laughs> saw... Other kids' parents and like grandparents were about the age of my my mum and dad, but I had a great childhood. Um, brought up in a tenement in Rutherglen, um, big, huge ceilings and big, huge rooms, but not many of them. Uh, it was what we called a two room and kitchen, which meant there was one bedroom, but it was massive. Uh, one living room, again, it was massive, and one kitchen, which was massive. Um, but we didn't have a bath. We had an indoor toilet, but we didn't have a bath. If I wanted a bath, I had to either go to my grand's, which wasn't far away, or go to my aunt Anna's, which was up in Burnside, about a mile away. Nice. Um, that's when I outgrew the kitchen sink, you know, because we had these big, bel- you know, these big Belfast sinks? Yep, yep. We had one of them. Because uh, it was a very old-fashioned house, we had one of them. So I suppose, you know, up to the age of I don't know four or five, you know, the bath. You're in the sink. sink. But no, great, great childhood. Um, and although I was an only child, I had three 
my mum had two sisters nearby and my father had one sister nearby. Uh, so it was a big extended family. Um, my cousins, Ian and Ron, they were the closest in age to me. Uh, they were both eight. Um, and they lived next door to each other, almost in Burnside. Um, that was my mum's two aunts. They lived just literally across the road. So they were like my, my brothers, my big brothers growing up, especially Ian. Uh, he, was, he was very much uh, my big brother. And again, there was a huge gap between his, him and his big sister. He was eight. I think my cousin Carolyn was about 18. Right. Um, and it was the same with Ron's two sisters. They were much older. And then I had another, um, another cousin, uh, Joan. She was my dad's sister's daughter. And she right. lived in Burnside as well. So I had plenty I siblings, had plenty of, you know. Of, um, even though you were an only child, you still had plenty. Even though I was an only child, plenty of siblings. But what I didn't do was I didn't really play with kids my own age until I went to school. Because back in these days, it was dad went to work and mum looked after the kids. And there really wasn't like nurseries and playgroups and all the stuff that you've got for kids these days mm -hmm. um, because pretty much it wasn't needed, I don't think. So I didn't really play with kids my own age until I got to, got to primary school. Um, but no, great childhood. Um, I had, had great fun. My dad came from a little village on Speyside in the north of Scotland called Craig Ellicky, which is where my name comes from. Um, and we went there for three weeks every summer, um, just kicked about, had because uh, I had other aunts and uncles up there. Um, and no, childhood was fantastic. I oh, know, it sounds like, sounds, like, sounds like fun, sounds like fun. Was there any, um, you, you went to school then, um, what was your kind of early interest then? Were you were you sport? Did you have a sporting interest, or how? What what were your keen things to do as you were kind of coming through school and getting into kind of teenage years? Right, well, sporting interest, no. Um, my dad wasn't into football whatsoever, so therefore I wasn't into football. Um, I couldn't kick a ball to save myself. Uh, <laughs> I was also when it was putting goals at school. What he did love was speedway. Um, his best mate, who was um, my, well, your Glasgow uncle, as they call it, you know, my uncle Tommy. Uh, he was the former speedway rider, Tommy Miller. And that was my dad's, that was the sport that my dad was into. So I was dragged along to speedway. Um, a, a place called White City, which was, was near Ibrox, if I remember. It's not there anymore. And then Shawfield and Hamden. Oh, I know Shawfield. So we followed the Glasgow Shawfield. Tigers about. Um, but as far as, as actual physical sport, no, I just didn't really, um, I was rubbish at all of them. Uh, I cycled a lot, you know, I cycled everywhere, but no, no, no sporting interest. No sporting interest. No. So you go to school, you know, you come, come through school. What was your kind of ambitions career wise? What were you looking to, to go into? I really didn't. I really didn't know. Um, I wasn't thick at school, but I wasn't a studier. I used to hate studying. I used to always kind of get by in exams without doing much studying, which you can do all the way through primary school and secondary school until you get to kind of fourth year and fifth year and it matters. So I did my levels and they were okay. Um, stayed on for fifth year. Um, but by that time I was 16, 
and me and uh, four or five mates, we got uh, we got motorbikes at 16. You could get mopeds. Right. This was now 70, 77. And there was two mopeds everybody wanted. One was a Suzuki AP50. Another was a Yamaha Fizzy. We used to call it an FS1E. And they were this... Uh, they were the motorbikes everybody wanted because it was just like a wee mini motorbike, um, except it was 50cc and you could drive it at 16. So I was lucky enough, my, my grandpa, um, I never knew my father's parents, but my gran and grandpa, Heggy, my, my mum's mom and dad, they, they were alive right into my teens. My grandpa bought me my Suzuki AP50 and a few of my mates had them as well. And... That just absolutely screwed fittier for me because we used to turn up, we used to turn up in the morning, register, and then we were off on the bikes most right. of the day. So um, I didn't do too well in my hires at all, and decided I was going to try and find a job. So I got I got a job um, as a what would you call it? Uh, it was like an assistant to the buyer at a hardware cash and carry. Just the job centre sent me down, and it was quite close to home. It was within walking distance. Um, and that's what I stayed at. I didn't stay at that. I was there for, I think I was there for four years. Um, and, I, and I was seeing a lot of sales reps that were coming in. Uh, I got actually management quite quickly. My boss got a promotion, and rather than fill his role, I'd only been there about a year and rather than fill his role, he recommended to the general manager that I get his job and he could still mentor me. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was great. It was a quite, a quite a boost in salary. I mean, although you'd laugh when you heard what we were paid. Oh, back, time, right? different, different, month, times, different times. My first wage was 27 quid a week. Oof. But we could do loads with that. Aye, that's, know, I can imagine back petrol's, then. Petrol was 50p a gallon, no 50p a litre. So I stayed there for another three years as the buyer, but I was seeing salesmen every day and they were all coming in with brand new cars, smart suits, didn't look as though they got their hands dirty. And I thought, that's the job for me. I want that job. So I did get one four years down the line, a job out on the road. Um, it wasn't as pretty as I thought it looked like. Um, but it was it was it was good, and I stuck at that pretty much the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. um, didn't move much. I only worked for only worked for two companies out in the road uh, before I decided eventually to to go and do my own thing. Um, but, it's interesting. Yeah, I can relate to you because I played cricket professionally until about 27, 28. and when I came out of it for the last kind of ten years, that's what I've been doing. I call it business yeah. development, but same thing, sales rep, getting in the car, driving up and down the motorway. Um, you say, you know, you don't get your hat, but when you actually get into it and you do it, it's a pretty stressful job. You know, somebody's yeah. always breathing down your neck looking for the sales sales numbers and you're, Absolutely. you spend a lot of late nights, etc. So you decided then after that illustrious career that it was time for a time for a big change. Where did it even come into your mind? That there was going to was it something you ever thought about emceeing and, and, and announcing? How did that no, even I, I kind of I got into it by accident. I mean, the only the only announcing I'd ever done is if you go way, way back to I was 17, 18, my cousin Ron had a mobile disco. 
And it was back when mobile discos were quite the thing, you know, because mm-hmm. there the wasn't a lot of nightclubs around or stuff like that. And he had a particularly good one. And I used to go along sometimes and do a bit of roadie and carrying the boxes and stuff. And then uh, Ron, Ron sold the disco to his partner, uh, Gordon, and he moved off to actually go into the nightclub business. Um, I then started doing a wee bit more for Gordon, the partner, you know, driving the van, stuff like that. And then sometimes he would uh, say, look, I fancy an hour's break. Do you want to go on the decks? And it was back in the time where DJs actually spoke. Yeah. You know, they didn't mix records. We didn't. We just, we faded one into the next one. But we would speak like a radio DJ. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I quite enjoyed it. It was, you, you had a bit of a silly put on voice, but it was great fun. Um, so that was my kind of first taste at doing that. But then when I started seeing Val, my, my wife now, um, that was that out the window. I wasn't to be out. <laughs> doing discos anymore um, but fast forward to when the kids when, when we got married we had, we had two boys Jamie and Gareth they started playing ice hockey uh, around about nine years old for Jamie that would be about what 90 94 95 mm-hmm. and my job as a salesman took me down to Manchester every couple of weeks and one night when I was in Manchester, or one day when I was in Manchester, on the radio there was uh, come down to Manchester Arena tonight, Manchester Storm are playing. And I thought, I'm going to go and watch that. It beats sitting in a hotel. Mm-hmm. So I went along to watch professional ice hockey. And the best part of the night for me was the announcer. Mm-hmm. I remember the guy's name. He worked for Leeds as well uh, in football. His name was John Hammond. And he was the match night announcer. And he did goals penalties etc but he also warmed up the crowd he also got the team out onto the ice and he just made the atmosphere he was brilliant so I thought right I'm going to start doing that for the kids when the boys are playing a game I knew there was a little port um, I did the scoreboard like all children's sport whether it's football mm-hmm. or anything you need parents involvement yeah. So at the ice hockey, when we were playing a game, they needed a parent on the scoreboard, and this is the electronic scoreboard, and nobody wanted to do that because it looked complicated. Then they needed a parent on the goal nets, a parent on the penalty box, and a parent on the score sheet. So I was the, I was the, the scoreboard guy, and I had noticed a microphone socket beside the scoreboard. So I just brought along a mic one day, plugged it in, and started being the match night announcer for the nice. kids. Yep. I would read out their names. The scorer stood right next to me. So he had the official score sheet, which had all the names on it, all the numbers. So I just grabbed his score sheet and then they'd be skating around in the warm up and I would do uh, the opposing they must team. They loved it. The Kids team. must have loved it. And they loved it. And we had a decent crowd because it was, it was the under 10s. And they had one of the best supports because they had. Mum and dad, brothers, sisters, grands, grannies, uncles, aunts. So they had a great support. It kind of, as the kids get older, the support wanes. You know, the aunties have been and the, the, the cousins yeah. have been, but the kids had big support. And hearing their names read out, and then once the game starts, the referee will come over to the score guy who's beside me and give him the goal scorer, the assister, and 
I'm the timekeeper, so I've got the time of the goal. So that's fine. He goes away and I go, goal number one for the Fife Flats. Well, not the Fife Flats at the time, yep. but goal number one for the Glasgow Comets, scored by, you know, number nine, Thomas Miller, assist. Big and cheer. Yes, big cheer. I ended up doing it for all the other age groups after a wee while because we'd buy the ice, the ice, most junior ice hockey clubs, they'll have the ice for the whole afternoon or evening. So they'll just go an under-10s game, under-12s game, under-14s, under-16s and a, and a senior. Mm-hmm. So I was asked by the next age group, oh, going to stay and do our game and then going to stay. So we used to be there all night. Yep. Um, and that led to me getting asked to go and work for the Five Flyers. Um, I, I, if I remember right, I think we were playing a Fife junior team and one of the directors of Fife Flyers had a son who was playing on that junior team. And he, uh, I don't know if he came and asked me or if he got somebody else to ask me if I would consider going and working for a pro team. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I said, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it wasn't like, not? like thousands of pounds, but it was just doing something that you would do for nothing in front of a professional crowd. Um, it's great. And I ended up there for years. It was funny. So, uh, that's I looked how I got into it. It's it's a great story, great backstory because you like you say you just stumbled up. It might never have happened if you, if that opportunity never So you, you just stumbled across it. But it's interesting when I, you, you said to me that I'm the first person in a long time or ever that you say you've ever actually sent your your CV to. Um, and so it was uh, just come on. I know that's that came out of blue there. Um, and that was that was a, that was a privilege to, for you, you know, to, to receive your CV and to see what you've done. And the first thing that hit me was five flyers because I was telling you at the start, um, my late younger brother um, passed away uh, back in '99. Mm-hmm. He used to uh, there was a player, Mark Morrison, who you will know of, I'm sure, who used to come team and, manager, yeah, like, and and player. And player as well, great guy. Used to come to Rachel House with a few of the other five Flyers players. I'd never been to an ice hockey game in my life, and I got given tickets as a young 12, 13 year old to go along and watch. And the atmosphere was incredible. Like it was, you know, it's like a cauldron. It's a bit smaller than a football stadium, um, and and they were, they were going mental. And I was like, this is this is incredible. So put you know, thinking of you in the middle of that announcing and getting the crowd going, that must have been some buzz. It's, it's, it was great. I mean, I, had, I knew the good thing is because I had been doing it for the kids for four or five years, um, I kind of knew my ice hockey by then. You know, I'd never played. I couldn't play, I can't skate. But I knew my ice hockey, so I knew the rules and all the rest of it. Um, ice hockey fans are like any other fan, like boxing fans, it takes a while for a newbie to get accepted as a proper ice hockey fan. But I wasn't quite a newbie because I knew how ice hockey worked. Yep. Um, and I remember going along for the very first time. They invited me to do a, a game between... Um, it wasn't a Fife... It was at the Fife Ice Arena, but it wasn't a Fife home game. It was a Scottish Cup between Fife Flyers and Edinburgh Capitals. And I went along to do that game. And the guy who was doing the music beside me, Brian, Brian says, 
Wait to see the crowd when you start to speak. Because Brian knew me from the juniors as well. Wait to see the crowd when you start to speak. Because they're all expecting this other guy. Um, and they'll all react. I went, oh, how are you going? He said, I'm telling you. So as soon as I started to speak, I could see everybody in front of me. We were in an announcer's box, which was right at the back of the middle of the stands. So I had a crowd all down the front of me. And almost everybody to a man turned around and looked to see who was who, this? this voice. Who's this voice? Because it's a new voice. It's somebody they hadn't heard. Yeah. So I was fine. There was nothing untoward. But there was one thing I'd been told to do uh, as a regular thing. And it's more a thing. It's it's A for safety and, and B to stop anybody getting sued. Um. Most American rinks have got plexiglass all the way around them, and most modern rinks have got high, high plexiglass. Fife Ice Arena at the time had no plexiglass. So the boards finished at about mid-waist height. So if the puck was high, it could come out over the boards and into the crowd. All right. So this is, this is a lump of plastic or a lump of rubber, very, very hard lump, lump of rubber. It could be going at 17, 80 miles an hour. It could... Take your eye out. Mm-hmm. So a couple, if ever the putt went over the, the board, didn't matter where it was, you were to say, ladies and gentlemen, please keep your eye on the puck at all times. Or, ladies mm-hmm. and gentlemen, the puck can leave the ice. Please keep your eye on the puck at all times. You were to repeat this. Mm-hmm. Um, which I did several times. And then in the second period, I can remember that five flyers are on the attack and Edinburgh Capitals on the defence and Fife had got into their zone that the Capitals defenseman got his stick under the flyer pl- flyer's player stick and flipped it. And the stick came out of his hands and went over the boards and into the crowd. Yeah. And the referee blew the whistle for a stoppage of play. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, in the interest of safety, please keep your eye on the player sticks at all times. And the crowd laughed. And I thought nothing of it whatsoever until the very end of the game. And the guy that had asked me to come up, he said, they've never laughed at an announcer ever. You're the first person that's made them laugh. Yep. And I thought, that's it. Great. I'll have it. Um, so that, that was the very end of the 1999 season. And I went there as the announcer at the start of the 2000 season. Nine seasons? You had nine years. Nine seasons, um, nine seasons, and it was thanks to the Five Flyers that I got into boxing. Because if I hadn't been for them, I wouldn't ever have thought of getting into boxing. The guy that ran the security, uh, the stewards, was a guy called Steve Maguire. Yep. And Steve also has an amateur boxing club. Mm-hmm. Now I would only see Steve. I would see him every every night that I was there but he would only come at the beginning um, sort things out then he would go away and do other things because he's got dormant everywhere and he would normally come back towards the end you know maybe the last 20 minutes of the game and I, I try to think how long I'd been there maybe maybe a couple of seasons two seasons or so and I was there one night we, we only nodded at each other we only said hello I don't even know if he knew my name one night he says, Here, announcer guy, I've got a boxing show next Sunday. You could be the announcer. And I said, Oh, Stevie, I don't really know much about boxing. 
because I knew ice hockey rules inside out. I said, Stevie, mm-hmm. I don't know much about boxing. He says, you don't need no F all. You're only shouting out a couple of names. <laughs> and I went, right enough, I suppose so. Uh, I said, look, I'll, I'll speak to my wife and see what I'm doing next Sunday. He went, if you were doing something next Sunday, you would know already. He says, right, that's it. Next Sunday, 12 o'clock, Sizzle Club, Glen Rothis. I'll pay you. So <laughs> that was it. I was kind of railroaded. It wasn't, he's not the type of guy you say no to. Doesn't he so sound like I went along to this working men's club in Glen Rothis, the Sizzle Club. My mate, Brian, who's passed away, uh, who was the sound guy, um, Brian Preston. Brian lived in Kirkcaldy. I didn't. Five Flyers is in Kirkcaldy. I live in Glasgow, so I commute every every week, uh, the 60 miles and back to Fife. But I told Brian, and he said, I love boxing. He said, pick me up and I'll come with you. So I get Brian, we go to the Sizzle Club, we go in to see what the sound system's like, and the sound system's fine, and it's got a CD player. So Brian said, I've got my music in the car. Why don't I bring the music in and we'll walk all the guys to the ring? I said, ah, fine, fine, okay. So we said to Stevie, and Stevie was like, you do what you want, I'm just paying you to be the announcer, do what you want. I'm not paying him, you know, <laughs> he's getting a free ticket to be here. So that's exactly what we did. Brian brought in, and the music we play ice hockey in between periods, it's all rock and roll kind of stuff, so it's pretty similar to boxing ring walk music. So that's what we did. We introduced all the boxers, I think there was about 14 contests, we introduced them all to the ring. Um, I did the introductions and it was, it was a great rest is history. Aye. Uh, I got about three or four jobs on that day from other clubs who had been there as the opposition who had boxing shows coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one was a guy called Rab McEwen, uh, his son Craig, great boxer. Uh, and Rab said, I've got a show in Edinburgh in a few weeks' time, but it's a dinner show at night. You need a suit, because I didn't have a suit on for this one. I just was dressed in black, with black mm-hmm. T-shirt, black jeans, whatever. Um, you got a suit? I said, no, no, but I can get one. He says, right, uh, I want you to do my show. And it just snowballed from that. Snowballed quite a bit, because we're going to get into the, the nitty-gritty of it now. So you started doing amateur shows 2012. Mm-hmm. I'm going to mention a chap here. Now, this is how this podcast came about. I just recently done a podcast with uh, Mr. MBE, Tommy Gilmore. Um, you, as well as a few other um, people in boxing, came across the podcast. Yes. We've engaged with each other. Here we are having a podcast now. When did you meet Mr. Gilmore? Uh, well, you just said 2012 there. I mean, that's, that's a lot no, of years. 2002. Later. I said 2002. Well, 2002 you were amateur boxing. It's my hearing. Um, I'm 60 this year. Tommy uh, used to get mentioned to me um, because most of my announcing was done in the East Coast. There's there's, uh, three three divisions in amateur boxing Scotland. There's a Northern District, an Eastern District, and a Western District. So because I started in the East, that's where most of my work was coming from. It was the Eastern District shows. And then eventually I started to get a couple of Western District shows. Mm-hmm. Um, they had they had guys over here that were doing it mostly they were officials um, so the officials would do it for probably probably nothing they'd probably mm-hmm. do it free uh, they're going to be there anyway so I think people were balking at the fact that somebody's going to come along and 
get paid for it. But what they didn't get was I earned them more money than I made. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did that first on Stevie's show. Uh, Stevie's, when I went in, I was asking him all sorts of questions. And one of them was, what happens to all these trophies? And he went, well, what do you mean? They're for the boxers. They, you know, they're, they're, they're both the same, so it doesn't matter who gets what. Just every boxer gets a trophy. I said, yeah, but who gives them out? And St- Stevie's not a very patient, man. Anybody who knows Stevie McGuire will tell you. He's like, get anybody to do it. Get a doctor to do it. Get the official in charge to do it. Stop bothering me. Because he's the coach as well, so he's got all the boxers yeah. to look after. So he doesn't yeah. want all these questions. So I said, so anybody can do it? He said, anybody can do it. Now, beat it, you know. <laughs> so I thought, this is the salesman in you. I thought, we're not giving him away. So we had like an hour before the boxing started because it was like a pie and a pint then boxing. It was an mm-hmm. afternoon show. So I'm armed with the bout list. And I went on the microphone and said, ladies and gentlemen, we've got these trophies. Now, this is a club fundraiser. So... If anybody would like to sponsor a trophy, we will read out your name at the start and then we'll get you into the ring to present at the end. We're not looking for a lot of money. The trophies cost £20 each. I need a clue what the trophies cost. Mm-hmm. The trophies cost £20 each. If we cover the cost, great. If we get more, fantastic. There's hands going up everywhere. About number six, John Smith, is he sponsored? No, no, he's not. Right, Smith the Butchers, I'll give you 50 quid. So at the end of the night, I didn't know how much I had in my pocket. At the end of the night, we counted it up and I had about four times as much as Stevie was going to pay me to do the night. So there he got all that. So other yeah. clubs started um, doing similar outside of, outside of Fife. And when I'm over here in the West, um, I had a lot of people saying, you're quite good at this. I'm going to tell Tommy Gilmer about you. But then... Nobody does. They tell you that on the night, and the minute they walk out the door, it's out their head, they've forgotten about it. Yep, yep. Until one night I did a show um, for an ex-Scottish champion called Chris McAdam. Uh, right. I did a show for him, and there was another, uh, there was a pro boxer there as well, a guy called Ian McLeod, who I'm very friendly with to this day, and, and Chris I'm very friendly with as well. Uh, so this was a box-off for the Commonwealth Games, I think, in 2000 and... So, 14-10. It must have been the 2006 Commonwealth Games. And it was a box-off. There was meant to be about four bouts where two Scottish boxers were boxing for the place. Then there was, a four, you know, four or five other bouts. And the whole card fell apart. It just... For one reason or another, injuries and stuff, the whole card fell apart. And again, it was still a club fundraiser for Chris's club. And one of the biggest fundraisers of the night was the bar. You know, they put the bar in and they get the profits from the bar. So we couldn't have a short night. The night had to go on till about 11.30. And here we're left with two fights and three exhibitions or something. And Chris is tearing his hair out. Uh, and I said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I'll, I'll sort it. He went, you're the announcer. I said, it's okay. We'll sort it. We'll stretch it. So the first thing I did was ask the officials. We used to have computer scoring uh, at amateur shows, which looked like little Nintendo um, keypads where mm-hmm. they press a red button or a blue button, whoever threw the punch. So I asked one of the officials to go through and footer with the 
cables. And I went into the ring and said, ladies and gentlemen, we're having a little bit of trouble with the computer. Can you please bear with us? We'll play a bit of music. Well, that gave us about an hour delay yep. on the start. So that's an hour done. Yep. And then there was uh, some pro boxers there. Um, they agreed to come in and have a wee couple of words and interview a couple of pictures. So we could do that in between the contests. And then every single contest, we, we ring walk these guys like it was a world title fight in Vegas. You know, slow ring walk. And at the end of the day, we had... Plus, it doesn't matter. At amateur boxing, there's always an interval. It doesn't matter whether you've got 14 contests or four contests. There's always a break. Because these guys, and I've got to say this, amateur boxing officials are unpaid volunteers. Um, and they are the lifeblood of the sport. But the one thing they do insist is a wee break, because it's their social time. So that's when we can do things like party games or, or raffles or auctions or things. So with all this stuff done, the night went through to about half past 11. Everybody had a good time. Everybody went home. And the following day, I'm pushing the trolley through Morrison's. Um, it's probably that long ago, Safeways. I'm pushing the trolley and the phone rings and it's Chris. So how you doing, Chris? He says, Greg, great job last night. You've managed to stretch that night out. Fantastic. I said, no, it's a pleasure. That's what I do. That's what you're paying, paying me for. He said, I'm going to tell Tommy Gilmer about you. And I went, ah, that's good. Thanks very much. That's nice. And loads of people had said that. Nobody yep. had it. Yeah. And the phone went down. And then five minutes later, Chris is on the phone again. Hey, Chris, how are you doing? What are you doing on Monday? I said, I'm working about Glasgow. Good. Tommy Gilmer's expecting me in his office at the Albany. Um, doesn't matter what time, just go up. So that was it. He'd followed through. He'd phoned Tommy yep. and said, you've got to listen to this guy. You know, this guy's good at what he does. Um, give him a chance in the pros. Uh, and I went and met Tommy and he said, right, we've got to get your license because you've got to be licensed to do the pros. So we'll sort out a license. You've got to have a wee interview. And um, that's how I started with Tommy Gilmer. So it really is. You know, you you, you got the kind of pro opportunity. Mm -hmm. putting you in touch, with, in touch with Tommy. And you know, it's interesting... From my point of view as well, I'm not going to name too many, but already I've only had I've only known Tommy a short time, no anywhere near as long as you've known him. Mm. And he's a he's a he's a guy that makes things happen. I can tell how the magic he must have made happen over the years because he's already made magic happen for me with this podcast. I've got some really interesting guests lined up. Um and it's all down to just, you know, he's he, he was willing to just help me. And I and I just thought, what a genuine top bloke you don't get don't get many like that that are just willing to just help you but did he then just start opening doors for you because obviously he was connected uh, throughout yeah yes yes and no um i mean tommy's a busy guy he runs or ran at the time the saint andrew's sporting club uh, yep. the the oldest private members boxing club in the world but he didn't start me in the St. Andrews. Uh, he started me He started me a place called the Volunteer Rooms in Irvine, which was a show that he did once a year for a charitable um, body in Irvine. It could have been a round table or something like that. And they had a, a charity dinner, a charity boxing dinner, and Tommy put on the pro boxing. So that was the one that he started me on. 
Um, and I didn't have my license at the time. Now, you can't do it if you don't have a license. Mm-hmm. But Tommy's got influence. So Tommy had said to the board, look, I need this guy. You don't have a meeting until after my show. But you're going to want to see him at your meeting. You're going to ask him all these questions about, you know, are you, do you know how to do this? Do you know how to do that? So he said, what I'm suggesting is you... Uh, have him on my show and that is part of his test so that was fine um, they agreed like they usually do with Tommy so I went, do, I went down and did this just a, just a little dinner show four um, four fights and dinner um, in the volunteer rooms in Irvine and then went the following week or ten days later to the board um, monthly meeting uh, and got my license from him, which was was great. So I told me to thank for that. But he did have me do a few other what we call small hall shows, um, and he invited me along to the St Andrews to see how the St Andrews ran uh, before he let me loose mm-hmm. on the St Andrews Sporting Club because it's an institution, yeah. And you don't want somebody going into the St Andrews um, not knowing what they're doing. It's not that I didn't know how to be a ring announcer. It's just, it's a little bit different. It's a private members club. Um, everybody dresses in a dinner suit from the richest guy to the poorest guy. So, you know, you look around the room and you can't say, well, like, he's dead important because look, he's got a dinner suit on because we've all got dinner suits on. Mm-hmm. Um, the atmosphere's slightly different. It's maybe a little bit more reserved. Um, and Tommy didn't want the ring announcer at the St Andrews to be some big, shouty, demonstrative ring announcer. He wanted his very specific idea of what the ring announcer at the St Andrews should be like. So he wanted mm-hmm. me to see this before he gave me my first one. And the guy that I was replacing, um, he was happy because John Coyne was Tommy's Toastmaster. And that's what he does. You know, the guy with the red jacket and the white gloves. And John had stepped in some time earlier um, because Tommy's previous ring announcer for some reason wasn't there. So John had stepped in, but that wasn't his, that wasn't what he wanted to do. You know, he was a Toastmaster and one of the best Toastmasters you'll ever meet. Um, So it wasn't like I was nicking somebody's job. He was, John would still be there. He would do, yeah, getting the top table in, uh, all the rest of it. Uh, so yeah, I started with Tommy. Um, I can't remember the year. Did I write it down? My year that I started in the St Andrews Sporting Club in that season. Must have been around two. Must have been around two o six because you got your license. So must have been around then. And Tommy has since uh, retired from boxing and sold the St Andrews Sporting Club to Ian Wilson, uh, who I still work for, and. I pride myself in never having missed a St Andrews Sporting Club event since the day I started. That's um, brilliant. And it's, it's, uh, it's great. It's an institution. It's fantastic. A few changes since, since Tommy let, um, handed over the reins. Um, I think they say you don't own the St Andrews Sporting Club. You're a custodian of the St Andrews Sporting Club until the next guy. Um, a few changes, the main one being it was a private members gentlemen's club. So no ladies. Uh, the only ladies were waitresses and mm-hmm. um, maybe the numbers girls. 
-hmm. but Tommy's wife and daughter would come along and run everything to the start that they would be in the foyer and when boxing started they would go to the back office mm -hmm. um, you know and Veronica's a partner in the business but I think just over the past few years we've got very politically correct yeah uh, you times have changed want, times have times changed, changed. And it really isn't that there are a lot of women come along, but the club is is open. We've we've had some. Um, Tommy and Veronica always had two ladies' nights. We always had a dinner dance um, in in May, the May Ball, and the Masquerade Ball at Christmas. And there was no boxing, but it was a, a, a dinner dance, and that was, I think, possibly for. You know the members to thank the wives for letting them go there for the the other eight shows and take them out and show them a good time. That's nice, though. Great. I mean, really good. Those, I mean, those times, from those times, yeah. that was good that they did have that because a lot of sporting events didn't allow women at all. Mm -hmm. Well, we always had uh, on the the masquerade ball at Christmas. We always had uh, a lady chair instead of uh, a chair uh, of the top table. But now we've had um, a lady chair at a boxing show. We had uh, Judy Murray not that long ago in 2019. Mm. She was fantastic. And Andy Murray loves boxing, unfortunately. Ah, he's a big fan. He's a big, big fan. That's right. Along. But no, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's great. And when we're all up again, hopefully we're going to be back out again in September for the first show after lockdown. That's what it's planned. So um, you need to come along. Well, I, that's what I was going to say. Since the again, since the Tommy podcast, I've uh, I've formed a bit of a relationship with the chat, some of the chaps at St Andrews, and mm -hmm. I'm looking to speak to some of the other boxers and stuff. And I've never been to a St Andrews sport uh, boxing event, so definitely it's one that I'm uh, I'm keen to keen to get along to, and hopefully be listening to your your good self doing, so. doing your thing up there. So things just started continually evolving, and this led you. This has led you to doing some unbelievable things you know you've remained in boxing not only boxing you've gone in and do MMA as well mm -hmm. one of the big events I want to talk to you about before we go into some of the other ones is you had the pleasure of being at Wembley Stadium 80,000 people um, the night that Anthony Joshua challenged Vladimir Klitschko for the world world title massive massive fight probably the biggest heavyweight clash in recent times we've ever had in Britain and I believe you had all the undercard fights leading yeah. up to the to the main event. Talk to me a bit about that night. Um, I nearly never made it. Uh, I went, oh, I yeah. went out on the I went out on the night before um, with uh, an old mate of mine who is a former boxer, Scott Hartley. From, right. from London, he's a former boxer. He, he now does uh, a lot of PT and stuff in London. And we we would hook up for lunch quite often if I was down working in London. This time we hooked up on the Friday about five o'clock um, for a quick drink. Oh, and yeah. I poured into an Uber about midnight and sent back to my hotel in Wembley. And I got up on the Saturday morning. I felt okay. I got up on the Saturday morning, went down for breakfast, and. Uh, Mandy, one of the ladies from Matchroom, she saw me coming down, the, coming out the lift, and she went, "Where were you last night?" I mate. She said, "You look like shit. We've got the biggest night of our life tonight at Wembley, and you look." I said, "I'll be okay. I'll be okay. It's only nine o'clock in the morning." 
<laughs> and then the next person I bumped into was, was Michael Buffer, who was there with his wife, Christine. And um, I hadn't seen them. And probably looking back, I was probably stinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't think that at the time. And I hadn't seen... Uh, I did. I saw Michael at the way in but I hadn't seen Christine. She didn't come to the way in And um, I saw them. Michael, Christine, how you doing? And he looked, he went, hey, were you in a fight? <laughs> and I thought, jeez, I must look bad. So I went away for the longest walk I've ever had. Yeah. Um, and just sort of, I felt fine. But anyway, uh, I was fine by the time we were going to Wembley Stadium. Uh, Which would have been what, about two or three o'clock? Because it was an early... I would go over to these kind of things. We went over that one a bit early. Michael went over it even earlier because he did a rehearsal of the main event ring walk and he doesn't often do rehearsals of the main event ring walk but for that one it was spectacular there was fireworks there was lots of things oh it was unbelievable incredible michael went over and did a rehearsal of that and i did go over and watch him do it that was about two and i was feeling fine by that time i was fine i knew i would be um i would just never ever go out with somebody the night before a big fight um i went over about uh maybe about Half past four. We were only staying across the road in, in a hotel. It wasn't far to go. I went over about half past four. Um, and I think the first fight would have been on about maybe 5.30, quarter to six. But at that time, the place is empty. Mm-hmm. It's, it's always the same, a big, big fights. At the beginning, the only people in the arena are the fans of the undercard boxers. Um so many people, and I wish they wouldn't. I just wish they would come and spend the whole night there. Uh, so many people will spend a lot of money on tickets, and they will go to the bar as soon as they go into the arena, or they will go to a bar before they come to the arena, mm-hmm. and they've got 10 o'clock in their mind. That's when the main event's going on, 10 o'clock, so we better be in our seats for half past nine, quarter to ten. And they miss some of the best action. I know, I don't get that. I don't get that. I would, any boxing show I've ever went to, I want to get to it early. You never know, know. there's there's, there's some cracking fights that tend to be, don't get me wrong, that night, Joshua Klitschko delivered, it was the, it was the fight of the, it was the fight of the night, but sometimes, more often than not, the undercard fight delivers just as good as the main event. So I, but, but what was the what was the co-main event again that night? Klitschko. Oh my goodness! Putting you on the spot know. here. Even I can't I can't remember. Katie Taylor was on the bill. Um, or was she? Yeah, I'm sure she was. I think she was. was. It, she was. was it was it Scott Quigg? Oof. We need to do it. We, I put you right in the spot there. You have put me on the spot. <laughs> you know one of the one of the. The one that I know, um, the one that I know definitely was a couple of AJ fights later when he fought in uh, in Cardiff for the mm-hmm. first time. And Against Parker. the undercard fight to that was Big David Price and Povetkin. Oh, they. And I thought, because um, you don't know leading up to it, things can change. And I thought Michael might do that one. You know, because it's not the first time that Michael's not only done the main event, he's maybe done the chief support as well. Mm-hmm. And it really, it doesn't it doesn't bother me. It bothers some announcers, but it doesn't bother me because the guy's the golden voice of boxing. 
Um, it doesn't make any difference to what I get paid. I get paid the same whether Michael's doing one fight or three fights. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it's nice to do the main event, but it's certainly no kick in the teeth to, to, to step back for, for Michael because he's something that none of us will be. He's an, he's an icon. He's an icon, he really is. Unbelievable. No, it's, there is nobody, I don't think, in the modern world who doesn't know who he is. They might not know his name. They might not really know boxing. But if you're talking about boxing and his name comes up and anybody says, who's he now? You say, he's the Let's Get Ready to Rumble guy. Oh, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because oh, wow. even, even the computer games, majority of the computer games have yeah. got his... His voice on them. Mm-hmm. I, I remember when I was a teenager, I was already doing for the thousands in attendance and the millions <laughs> watching around. Them. Don't and, say it live yeah. because if you say it live, you'll get his lawyers on you. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. Uh, <coughs> you know, um, it, 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 he gets the way he gets the big fights going is just it's, it's incredible. Oh, it's, it's phenomenal. It's, it's phenomenal. So I do remember um, the the one in Cardiff. It was, it was definitely Price Pavetkin because I was a little bit surprised that I was doing it. I thought Michael might have done that one as well. And what we did just before Price Pavetkin is the, do you remember the motion picture Creed? Yes. With Tony Bellew. Yeah. And then Creed 2 came yep. out. And they were filming Creed 2 at the time. And Michael was the ring announcer for Creed 2. But what they had said, and I got this thrown on me, uh, literally at, uh, Five o'clock at night when I got to the event, um, one somebody from Matchroom introduced me to this crew, and what they were doing, they were filming crowd scenes mm-hmm. for Creed Two, so they had this big contraption. It was like um, it was a big tripod with a big pole, and on the pole was this big array of cameras. I don't know how many they were at all angles. It was just a big cylindrical thing with cameras all around it, facing in all sorts of different, it was maybe like five banks of cameras. And this was like 360 degrees. That got set up in the middle of the ring and it literally filmed the whole arena, 360. And what I had to do as late as possible because we've talked about the crowds filling up. So as late as possible, I had to go in and try and do five or six minutes of warm up with the crowd. Mm-hmm. to get them to cheer, to get them to boo, to get them to jump out their seats. Um, and I'm like, <laughs> it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to instruct people what to do. People yeah. do what they want, mm-hmm. right? I've heard announcers saying, ladies and gentlemen, make some noise. And there's not a lot of noise. And the same announcer will then say, you didn't hear me. I said, make some noise. What would you do if somebody spoke to you like that? I'd be like, I'll make some noise. I'd sit in my hands. Aye, aye. When it's night, I'd go, go, who are you telling to make some noise? Yeah. So you've got to ask them to make some noise, not Mm -hmm. tell them to make some noise. Uh, So I went in, um, and it was just before Price Pepekin, and we had television are going nuts because they've got schedules. So we've got a commercial break to do this in. We've got to get the thing set up um, and we've got to get the crowd spoken to. So I, as soon as they started setting up, I spoke to the crowd and for, for fortunately they heard me because they, they were getting 
big by that time and they were getting noisy and it's a huge arena. And I said, we're doing Creed. We're trying to do some crowd scenes. You're all extras. So can you help me out? And um, the best thing I could do is throw out some names at you and see how you react. So let's start with, and uh, I, <laughs> I picked Carl Froch was on commentary. Yeah. And I said, here we are. Here we are from Nottingham, the Cobra. Carl Froch said they booed. They booed Carl Froch, <laughs> which was great because we need boos and yep. we need cheers. And then picked a few other people ringside. And Buffer even was ringside. He'd come. Sometimes Michael doesn't come to the last minute, but other times he wants to watch. He can watch the fights backstage because mm -hmm. the big screen's everywhere. But sometimes he wants to come and watch them live at ringside. Mm -hmm. So he'd wanted to watch Price and Vivek, and then he was already there. Um, so we introduced Michael, he got a great big cheer. And we just did this as long as we could. Um, and the crowd were getting, it was good fun. So they were getting into it. The longer it went, the more they were getting into it. So it was at that point I could say to them, um, the producers would love a big cheer with everybody jumping up. So can we, can we try, you know, one, two, three? And it, it, it worked. Uh, and I watched it's later, you know, because that was something that you just had to do off the cuff. It, it was, but ugh, I mean, there's nothing in the that, world. Is that, 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 that the skill of, of, of doing announcing? It's you need to adjust sometimes for what for what the crowd wants. Yeah, yeah, I would think so. Um, but I think you've also got to. I had great grounding at the Fife Face Arena because the Fife fans. They've all been hockey fans all their life. I mean, there's generations of hockey fans in there. They're not going to perform like seals when you say, you know, make some noise for the five flyers. You'd probably get somebody shouting back at you. Yeah, I'll decide whether I'm going to make some noise for the five flyers. So it's you. I learned early on. Don't don't tell people what to do. Mm -hmm. Ask them and, and cajole them. And a lot of times, a good rig, a good rig announcer should be able to develop an atmosphere just literally with the tone of his voice, with the tone of what's being said. You don't really even need to hear the actual words. You, you know, you build up things mm -hmm. with just the, the timber of your, your voice get, get louder and louder and louder. You know, from Liverpool, England, David Price. You know, just... Yeah. And whether you're hearing the actual words, you hear the noise, and if you're up for it, you'll go along with it. Yeah. Um, you form so, a you basically form a relationship from the, from yeah. the you, you have to you need to connect with the with the punters and the crowd, and you you know you, it's, it's 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 a real skill. It's a real real skill because no because like you say, if you sometimes you've heard announcers saying let's make some noise and it's just nothing tumbleweed. So that would be pretty uh, off-putting if you didn't now know how to. You'd be like thinking, oh, "Oh shit, what am I going to say now?" But you, you've learned, you've learned the the art of kind of along the way of how you ask people for stuff. The thing is, I had uh, I, when I was, when I started doing this, there wasn't, there really wasn't, in my knowledge, a lot of ring announcers about. And now there seems to be loads of guys, whether it's social media or not, I'm not sure. There seems to be loads of guys who want to be ring announcers. Mm -hmm. So they actually set out to be ring announcers. Where I think most of us never ever set out to be 
a ring announcer. Um, I mean, Michael wasn't a ring announcer till he was about 40. Jimmy Lennon Jr. is pr probably only a ring announcer because his old man, Jimmy Lennon Sr., was a ring announcer, so he was always in it. Um, but a lot of guys, uh, you know John McDonald, who does the darts? Yeah. Yep. John was a ringside photographer. That's what oh, he right, was. Okay. And one night, the ring announcer never turned up. And like, who'll do it? And John said, I'll do it. You know, If that ring announcer had never turned up, John might have still been taking photographs. Who knows? That's but, an so I think, I think a lot of it He's is, a is, is a And the darts. But, well, I had good grounding because I had the Five Face Arena where, you know, they're not going to take any nonsense off the announcer. You know, do mm -hmm. your job, do it right, and go home, and we'll have a good night. Mm -hmm. And you've got to understand, nobody pays to watch the ring announcer. They pay to watch the ice hockey player, the boxer, the athlete, whoever is there. That's who they're there to see. They're not there to see me. Yeah. Um, they're not if there you're to trying see. to steal the, if you're trying to steal the show too much, it'll be evident. They'll be like, oh, "This right. guy, this guy's getting annoying." Well, it, so if you think, if you go into ring announcing. Like a lot of people, I, I can see it in social media. If you go into ring announcing thinking, I'm going to go into that because I'm going to be famous. No, you're not, mate. Because name me 10 ring announcers in the world. You can't. I couldn't. I couldn't. You know, I maybe could, but yeah. You could because it's your industry and you you know your fellow professionals. I could. I don't think I could name, I could name 10 off the cuff. No, you probably couldn't, but. So you've got, A, you've got to know your place, but you've also got to do your apprenticeship. Um, I know I've rattled on a bit, but that's where I was going with this. Mm -hmm. I did my apprenticeship. Uh, I'm still doing it, but I did my apprenticeship long before I ever got near a television station because I was with the Flyers. I did the Amateurs. I did Tommy St. Andrew's Sporting Club. It was, I don't think I got my first TV job till about 2009. Now, by that time, you'd hopefully made most of your mistakes. You'd made mm -hmm. most of your basic ones anyway. You still make mistakes. I mean, I'll still make mistakes tomorrow doing a TV show. You're live. You kind of disguise them. Mm -hmm. As long as you don't try and duck them. You know, the best thing to do is smile and say, I beg your pardon, and change it. And yep. it's great endearing. Yep. But a lot of them want to jump into television straight away. You can't do it, mate. You've not. No, there's, a meme, there's a meme somewhere and it's got a little working men's club picture and a stadium and it said you can't work here unless you've worked here no so, I agree. So true so you get to kind of know what a crowd wants to an extent and and, and what they don't and one of the things they want is the information i noticed once when i went along to a tv show early doors with with tommy and i wasn't working it I noticed the amount of, there's a lot of dead time because you're at a TV schedule, schedule, schedule. So the first fight might not, might go early. Well, the second fight's not in till eight. And this is, you know, 7.35. We've got 25 minutes before that next fight can go in because we've got nothing to fill the gap. And nobody says anything. Nobody tells the crowd anything. I do. I, tell, yeah, I think I, people will now. I do. I will say to the producers or my director, "Can I have five minutes?" Because you don't know if they're recording something. You can't speak if, if it's going to be over somebody recording something at ringside. But 
you know, they'll say, yeah, we've got a commercial break, you can say what you want, and I will go on and say to the crowd, look, slightly early, the next two boxers in, John Smith, Fred Jones, uh, they will be in, um, I wouldn't say they're going to be in in half an hour, but I won't say they're going to be in directly. I say we will have a small break. And as long as you're telling them something, they don't get fit. It's better, yeah. you know, because if you don't tell them anything, you just going to go, what's going on here? What's going on? So even doing silly things like that, or silly things like that, even doing things like that, you, you kind of get the crowd on your side. I hope you do anyway. No, I think it's, I think it's wise without going into too much detail, just be simple things like that. 2014, yes. you, you uh, got a great opportunity, a um, very mm. historical event for us Scots as uh, as we got to host the Commonwealth Games and you got the gig for the boxing. That was brilliant. I loved that. Um, that was nine days of work and it was the hardest, the longest nine days um, ever. Uh, we had two sessions a day. We started at one. We were meant to start at one and finish at four and then start at six and finish at ten. But for the first five or six days, we started bang on one o'clock. We usually weren't getting finished till about quarter past five, twenty past five. Um, and then we had to rush off, try and grab a quick bite to eat and be back because we started again the evening session at six. And then it might finish at half past 10, quarter to 11. I had to grab the following day's draw uh, before I left, get home, get to bed, um, get up, do some paperwork for the next day, and then get in the train and get back to the SECC and do it all over again. But I tell you what, I would do it again tomorrow. It was fantastic. What a great atmosphere, Commonwealth Games. I, was, I attended one day, um, and it was, it was, it was, but it was non-stop. One fight would finish. Yep. You were saying before we started, how many fights was it in total? I'm sure 249 uh, is in my mind. Uh, we you, did them all inside the SEC. And then for finals day, we decanted to the Hydro. and right. did the finals in the Hydro. Um, but two, 249, I'm sure it was 249 contests. And did you introduce all two four nine? Every one of them. Bloody Every hell. single one of them. And you, were me, you were saying to me as well that you weren't able to be in the ring. You had to be outside the ring. No, we were hoping they were going to let me go into the ring for the finals. Um, it's just kind of not the done thing um, in amateur boxing for high-end competition. Now, I do all Boxing Scotland's official stuff. Um, first couple of years I was in the amateurs I did the senior finals but then a few years down the line uh, there was a guy called Richard Thomas who's, who's unfortunately passed away uh, far far too young and Richard was the, uh, the chairman of Boxing Scotland when he took over he said uh, Craig I want you at every one of our finals that you can make from schoolboys, novices, intermediates, because this is all about getting bums on seats and I want every event that we have to be a package and entertainment and that includes having an announcer that can interact with the crowd. So it was great. Um, when I do Boxing Scotland stuff, sometimes there's so many fights 
um, there's two boxing rings and we run them simul simultaneously. We just, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll start one in ring one and then 40 seconds later, we'll start one in ring two. And hopefully that one finishes, we get a result just, and we get the next two in before that one finishes, then we do the result and we get the next two boxers in. For these ones, I never step in the ring because this is not time. But mm -hmm. when it's a single, when it's when it gets to the senior finals, I will get in the ring just like everything else. But for Olympic competition, you'll notice there's never an announcer in the ring. And for Commonwealth competition, never. You just hear the voice in the sky. Yeah. But if you think about it, 249 contests. Um, I, I normally avoid saying fights with amateur boxing because I was told off uh, the first amateur boxing show I did. I said something about fight and this old official uh, who's probably no longer with us says, here, son, this isn't a fight. This is a boxing match. Mm -hmm. Fights happen outside the pub on a Saturday night. These are only fighters. These are boxers. And it kind of yeah. stuck. Um, 249 contests. If it took me... 30, 40 seconds to get in, do the, the introduction, and then 30, 40 seconds to get in and do the result. You're adding at least three minutes onto every single one. Too long over 249 fights. Because I remember being there that fight was finishing, and you were, the voice was your voice was introducing the next fight. Fight finished, out, straight yeah. in, straight out. It was, it, was, it was very quick. I mean, I'm at the mercy of. Uh, the guy who was with who was doing the world feed, uh, and that's the feed that's going out to every single TV station around the world, because they're all time constrained. So he tells my producer go, my producer tells me go, and I go. Um, and that 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 does include also there was one night where there was a fallout with one of the amateur boxing uh, officials. There was a heavy knockout. And normally I wouldn't do anything if a boxer is still in the ring getting attended to, mm -hmm. be it the pros, the amateurs. I would normally never, ever do anything. And I said to, there was a heavy knockout, and I said to my producer, who's sitting next to me, but he's in touch with the, 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 the head producer. I said, you won't want an introduction. You won't want a decision done, surely, until... He said, no, 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 I don't, no, 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 definitely not, definitely not. Just wait in your queue. So I said, that's fine. So I'm sitting there, I wait in my queue. And then I can see one of the officials from Aiba going nuts at me. Mm -hmm. Get on with it, get on with it, get on with it. And I just ignored them because I've got to do what television tells me. Mm -hmm. But I thought they were right and he was wrong. Um, and it, it turns out, yeah, fine, we did it when we did it. But when I watched it back on BBC Red Button when I got home, because I, I watched most of it, mm -hmm. you can actually see this guy in shot, and you hear the commentator saying, oh, there is such and such from um, GB Boxing or whatever, or Amateur Boxing. What's he getting so annoyed about? Oh, he's wanting the announcer to get on with it, and the announcer won't. And I was raging at that, raging. I went in the following day and found the the the, the BBC commentator that said it, and it had to explain to him why, because it made it look to me that I wasn't doing you weren't doing properly. it properly. You'd been told and that really means something to me. Yeah, I can understand that. I was 
I was doing it properly, in my opinion. He, you know, this guy wasn't, but hey, it was still it great, was still great, great experience. Must have been unbelievable to be part of it. I bet you you needed a couple of days rest after the after the nine days of doing that. It was uh, I, I did. We had one day off uh, between the nine days and. Um, I think I had my day's rest then because the day after, I think it was still still party time in Glasgow. Aye, oh aye, hundred percent. Wanted to go out, so you've, you've gone on, you've gone on. I mean, you've done the, you've done so much. Looking at your CV in particular, there was so much on it. But you've you've been at shows like Bellator. You know, you've done the virtual IBF awards. You've hosted mm-hmm. that. You've uh, worked for Haymaker Promotions. Yep. You've done Sourland events. You know, the, the big big. Famous brothers and their, their father, they were massive, very similar to Matt. They're like the matchroom of, of yeah, the, the, the matchroom of Germany. Aye, that's right. And they've, they've got a great announcer. Uh, they've got a guy called Tuka Koisnen. And anytime I've worked for them, I have been standing in for Tuka. It's because he's had a schedule conflict. Um, okay. But it's great. It's, it's great to work in another country. For, for other people, uh, you find that you're you're a wee bit, wee bit more under pressure because of the Scottish accent, or do no, you? No, not at all. Uh, not at all. I always think of myself as, see, I, you're Scottish, right? Do you think my accent is very Scottish? No, because I can see that you see from a bit from driving up and down the motorway to Manchester, which is something I've done as well. You you learn to adjust your. Where you speak to certain people and, and they'll understand you. Spot on. That is in, that's exactly. For a start, my father was a Highlander, so mm-hmm. I didn't. And my mum, my mum, my mum and my grand spoke a wee bit posh. Um, not that they were, they just spoke a wee bit posh. So I didn't grow up with a hard Glasgow accent. And then the first job that I had in buying, we didn't have computers back then or fax machines. So if I was phoning an order into an English company, I had to be understood. So any kind of rough edges that I had, I knocked them off then. Mm-hmm. Um, then going to the Five Face Arena, I learned that you have to be slower because if you're in a big arena like that if you talk quickly the sound bounces back at you and the words got all jumbled so I learned to slow down mm-hmm. so it, it all over the, everything that I kind of learned led up to being an announcer don't speak too quickly be clear um, but anybody that's not Scottish can still tell that I'm Scottish oh and that's which, that's important which is important to me that, that is important and, I think I think because Whenever I hear you, I know straight away when I've heard you announcing at events, I know straight away that, that, that who you are because mm-hmm. you put that Scottish accent on the map on a lot of these big shows because you don't hear a Scottish accent too often yeah. at a lot of announcer position and, and a lot of announcements. So I think it's great. Don't ever lose the accent, but I think it's important, obviously, that you're able to be understood worldwide or you might not get that much work. No, I don't think it stopped me getting work, to be honest. Um, it took me a long, long time. The fact that I was based in Scotland took me a long, long time to get TV work because mm-hmm. most of the main promoters did not come up to Scotland, so they didn't see me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I said to you when I said, do you want a CV? Because I do have one. Uh, well, I had to fill it in a fair wee bit, but I've never ever had to send it anywhere because I've never asked for work except once. 
And when David Hay, see, I would never, ever ask for another announcer's job. It's just a thing. Um, I used to come back from doing small hall shows, amateur shows and the like, and I'd turn on Sky for that night and I would watch several people, not John McDonald, I've got to say, because John's a mate and I do respect what John does, but I've watched some announcers and think, I did a better job than that tonight in front of 500 people in the, you know, in the sizzle. But I would never, ever have approached the boss. Never. It's just mm -hmm. not my thing. Mm -hmm. So if somebody had approached me, that's a different matter. Um, and, it, and it has happened several times. So it stopped me. The first, the only person I approached, or the first person I approached, was Haymaker Promotions. They got a deal with Satanta Sports way back in 2009. Now, here's a new promoter. He doesn't have a ring announcer. So that's fair game. So I made, uh, I made a phone call to somebody that I knew was involved with him, a guy called Dave Caldwell. Um, Dave remembered me, uh, you know, straight away. You know, I, I got Dave's number, probably got it off Tony Gilmer. I phoned him, um, told him my name, and he's like, ah, uh, I, I don't know, mate. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen you at the St. Andrews Sporting Club. Um, Dave was head of boxing for Haymaker. And he said, have you got anything? And I said, well, I've, I've got, you know, I've got tapes and stuff like that handheld cameras I said but I've got one I've got a DVD from Grampian Television I had done a fight for Lee McAllister in Aberdeen and it was shown on Grampian so it's good quality TV I can send you that he said send it down to me and I'll show it to David and Adam Booth because uh, we haven't got a ring announcer yet I'll show it to David and Adam Booth and we'll come back to you um, and he did fair play to him he came back to me a couple of weeks later and said right we want you for the first show Nice. And it was a Scottish boxer called, uh, um, oh my goodness, kill me for this. Um, it was Jamie Coyle, a sterling boxer who now runs an amateur boxing club. And he was fighting Ryan Rhodes, British champion. Yeah, Sheffield boy. And that was my first proper TV show. Um, and when I, got, when I got there, I was talking to Dave and he said, David Hay at that time had been training in Northern Cyprus with Adam Booth. And he said, the funniest thing was we picked up David a few weeks ago. We picked him up from the airport. We picked him up in a limo. The limo had a DVD in it. So I'd said, that guy I was talking to you about, I've got his DVD here. Do you want to see him? David said, yeah, yeah, stick it in. So they stuck in this and I come on and David Hay said, he's got a kilt on. Because I was in Aberdeen yeah. at a Lee McAllister fight doing it in a kilt. Yeah. And Dave called and said, he might have a kilt on there, but he won't have a kilt on in your show. Just listen to the guy. Do you want him? Yeah. And and I got I got uh, I got that job. Unfortunately, Satanta uh, ceased trading right. a few months down the line. So the job wasn't like there for long, but it did kind of put me into the eye of a few a few more people. You are the promoters. I got some work from Frank Maloney. The only promoter that knew me because he was a very good friend of Tommy's was Barry Hearn. And of course, I couldn't do anything for Barry because Barry had John McDonald. 
Yeah. And John was you know, the announcer in the UK at the time. Um, if John had ever not been able to make it, I'm sure Barry would have used me. Uh, in fact, Barry did. He did get me to do a show. He got me to do a Sky show. And the Sky producer vetoed it at the last minute. John was doing darts and I was going to do my first Sky show up here in Scotland. And I think two days to go, I think the Sky producer has seen a different name down his ring announcer. And he's not with Sky anymore, uh, the guy. Um, but he had said, no, we're not using him because I don't know him. He's not tried, he's not tested, I'm not putting him in a Sky show. Mm-hmm. So it was one of these things. And I'm saying, it was really disappointing. And to be fair, Barry gave me a job on that night in the Sky show because there was a Polish boxer. He used to have Albert Sosnowski and Albert's fights were only recorded for Polish television. So um, Barry said to Tommy, tell Craig, we still want him to do a Sosnowski fight. And by doing a Sosnowski fight, this guy producer will see him working. Mm-hmm. And so I think that uh, which was great because they could have easily said no. Um, you know, Sky said no, but they didn't. So fair play to, to Tommy and to, to Barry. That's what uh, and then yeah. I, I got Sky with Frank Maloney around uh, mm-hmm. about 2012 and did quite a lot with, with, with Frank. And that got me known with with other people. Um, then I went on to do stuff with, with Matchroom around uh, about 2015 and did more and more with them. No, you've... Uh... Just all... One comes from the other. Computer um, game. There's a computer game coming up. There is a computer game coming up. I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yep. Uh, it's the first computer game since EA Sports brought out Fight Night, uh, which I think is about 10 years ago. Now, I never played computer games, but that was the boxing game of mm-hmm. its time. And it's apparently the only boxing game that's out there because EA Sports, they went on to develop uh, a UFC game mm-hmm. and haven't done anything to the Fight Night game, haven't haven't um, put any new research into it. I don't know if it's the contract or what, but anyway, this uh, independent developer in, um, in Sheffield, Steel City Interactive, they decided, um, it was well over a year ago now, they decided that the world was crying out for a boxing game. And the great thing is these guys are developers who have worked independent developers who have worked for all the big the big guys um, as contractors. But they've got together, there's about 13 or 14 of them, and they are making eSports Boxing Club. Um, and it was all kind of under wraps. I got a call just, just at the start of lockdown from a, a good friend of mine, Dean, who owns Empire Pro Tape, who is the, the tape of choice for boxing these days. And Dean and I go back a couple of years, and he said, look, um, would you be interested in this if I give the guy your name? I've told him I'll speak to you. And I said, yeah, absolutely. So Ash from uh, Steel City rang me and said, this is what we plan to do. We're, we're, we've been doing development for a long time now. We're now getting to the nitty gritty. And we will need commentators, announcers, and we'll need to start signing some, some named boxers. Are you interested? And I was like, when can I start? Uh, so it's very, very near completion now. Uh, the guys are working so hard on getting everything right. They've got um, Paul Dempsey 
uh, BT Sport X Sky as one of the commentators. Paul's a good friend of mine. They've got Todd Grisham from the Zone in the States as the American voice uh, commentating. They've got huge roster. Um, you've got to go online and, and look at these guys. No, I'm going to check out. Go check a out. huge roster. I mean, they've got legends in the game. Um, Frank Bruno, Ricky Hatton. Uh, they've got Joe Joyce. Um, they've got Roy Jones Jr., Smoking Joe Fraser. But they've got current boxers as well. Um, they've got Josh, Josh Taylor's in the game. Lee McGregor's in the game. Nice. Um, I only found out a couple of days ago. I've done a lot of voices for them on the initial roster. So my job is literally to be the ring announcer. So it's not just like saying a big long sentence. I've got to do a lot of single words mm -hmm. and they will cleverly make these words into a sentence. Um, well, I look forward to... Uh, so you've got to know the tone of how you're doing things. How you're going to say so it. One tone follows the other tone and, and it doesn't sound like a computer generated sentence. It just sounds like you saying the whole thing. Um, but they are very, very close to putting this game out. And they released a thing a couple of months ago, the character creator. So you will have a whole list of, of fighters to choose from, and you can be that fighter. Or you can create your own. And the character creator, uh, it's, it's, there's a 10-minute video with Ash showing you how to go through this. And you just take a character and do so much to it. You can adjust the size of the eyes, the size of you could you, you could probably, if you're clever enough, make them look exactly like you. Uh, you can do anything with this character creator. And then on the back of that, I will do a list of names. We will choose, I don't know, 20, 30 first names, 20, 30 mm -hmm. surnames, place names, uh, and you would give the character. Um, its own name, brilliant, and that will be your character for the for the game. I'm really excited, really excited. I'm excited to give it a give, give it a give it a go of playing it and listening to your listening to your good self, senior. So, will you be the will the image be a you as the announcer? Well, I'm not sure. I've been scanned. I've been down to Sheffield uh, to be scanned by uh, there's this company 1024 that we're working for who's who do phenomenal work. And you go into what's look, what looks like a, a sort of igloo. And the igloo has got cameras all around, a little bit like what I said in um, before the Pavetkin fight. The, the, the fight, fight. I, fight. But this is coming in the way. So you stand inside this igloo and you are photographed from every conceivable angle. And they make a character out of you. I'm sure I'll be right at the end of the list. Uh, you know, as I said, people don't turn in and watch the announcer. Um, so if, if my character is being created, I've been scanned for it. Mm -hmm. It will be, and rightly so, at, at, at the bottom of the list because they've got all the boxers to create well, as well. Even if you get an appeal, even if you can. When you go into the website, you can see some of the boxers they've already created. And it's honestly, it's like looking at a photograph. It's incredible that these things move. Um, I know that they've had, they've got some boxers doing actions with with the suits that are completely. I'm not technical, you know. Do you know what I mean? The suits Me have got probes all over it. 
yeah. so that they can get the actions. They've got Ryan Rhodes as their technical consultant. So Ryan is letting them know how it's not just about the boxer punches the other guy and there's a big spray of water. It's about how the other guy's face will react to that punch. So they are trying to make this the most realistic boxing game ever. And I'm really excited about it. And no, I know it's something amazing. Boxing it's something. World, it's getting a lot of traction now in social media. Um, boxing world are very, very excited. So hopefully um, it'll be out soon. Uh, the, the, I'm the, sure your grandkids will uh, be proud, yeah, proud of you for that for making a computer. But um, you touched on Bellator. That's one of the few good things for me that have that have come out of lockdown. Um, had it not been for lockdown, I probably would never have got to work for Bellator um, because they've got a guy in the states, but the international travel meant that if he was coming over to Europe he would have to quarantine for 14 days when he got here, mm -hmm. then another 14 days when he got back. So I got a call to ask if I would do Europe for them. Um, and yeah, I jumped at it. I'd never really done a cage before. Um, and I did warn them that I'd probably slip up and say the word ring once or twice, which I did. But um so I was somebody. We might see you. Might see you do some future cage stuff. And uh... I, yes, I just don't know. I would love. To, I would love to. Uh, they were a delight to work for. Um, one of the most professional organisations. Uh, the amount of things that they give me. Um, Boxrec is, is is my go-to for boxing. Um, mm -hmm. And there are some in the MMA world, but nothing quite as good as Boxrec. Uh, mm -hmm. However, I don't need that because they furnish me with everything. They give me all the stats. They even a couple of days before the contest, I get I get voice messages from each fighter saying his hometown and his name in his that's own tongue. So I don't need to go and because that's, that's really one thing that's very big with me. That's really good for the pronunciation. Pronun pronunciation, you know, if you can't get somebody's name right. I get called Stevens a lot. My mm -hmm. name's Stephen. And mm -hmm. it grates on you because it's not your name. So you imagine somebody having their name mispronounced. Trust it's me. The thing in the world. Having a name, Cassim, which just starts with a Q. Mm -hmm. um, it's trust me. I've been called all sorts through the years. Yeah. Quasim. Yeah. Um, so I know, I know, I know the feeling, but I'm sure you would get my name right if you well, if I I, I would definitely would. I definitely would. Uh, but if I didn't know it, I would ask you first. Aye, well, that's uh, the best. That's that that's was good. one of the things with the Commonwealth Games. I had two days of, of um, two days of rehearsals, which they didn't need me for a lot of, and I spent all the spare time I had seeking out boxers. Um, the the ones that you're probably looking at and thinking, oh bloody oh, hell! I mean, some of the African names do not sound like how we just would help. read these these letters together, and. I found them all uh, over the time and I would write them down phonetically just as, as it sounds in my head. Mm -hmm. And they'd see me writing it and sometimes they'd go, no, no, not spelt like that. And I would say, no, no, please. Just, just. <laughs> so tell me again, tell me again, tell me again, I'd write it down. And then I'd repeat it as it said there. And they were like, fantastic, great. So I became known in the African crew as the white guy who can pronounce their names. <laughs> and it's, 
because most people might not have the time to ask or yep. not have the inclination to ask. They just see what's in front of them, and it's it's important. important. Listen, it's been a it's been a pleasure. To, not to, my pleasure. It's to, um, to, to sit and to sit and talk to you. You could probably, you know, that's the thing with the chaps like yourself, Tommy. They've all been around the sport for so long. You could probably, there's just so many stories that you could uh, that you could tell. But there's one thing I really want you to do, and that's to finish us off today with uh, your very own announcement for the for for the, for the podcast. Right. Well, I've, I I thought you might ask this, right? Because I'm, I'm not that good. I thought you might ask that, so I I, uh, I scribbled down a couple of things. So. I'm going to take my glasses off just in case okay. you use that because I don't normally wear my glasses. I write very big when I'm in the boxing ring, <laughs> so I can see. Right, um, my gas right in my head. Okay, ready, ladies and gentlemen, for one of the best sports podcasts in the business on YouTube, subscribe to Shaky's Sports Journeys. Right. On the button. I'll on do. The button. Everybody's <laughs> up in arms. They're all I'll do, you a few, I'll do you a few more because I'm sure that, that could be better. So, uh, look, again, absolute pleasure. It's been, it's been great. Thank you. It's been interesting for me because never have, speaking to a, a sports announcer, you know, I never would have thought some of the things you've talked about, we don't think about that as. You know, people coming to events. A lot of the stuff you've talked about has been the stuff in the lead up. You know, I like the way that you think outside the box quite a lot of the time to, to and get, you know, try different things. Yeah. And I think um, it's not just a matter of going and standing in the middle of the ring and saying blah, 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 blah. There's a lot of a lot of thinking that goes into it. And, yeah, you know, I, I like the way you're you're very diverse and you've learned how to become, yeah. become better, at your, better at your craft. Um Stay on for a second and I'll chat to you, but I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks. It's my pleasure.